Good morning, Encounter Church. Thank you, Michael Fay and Katie, for uh, preparing our hearts uh, for in worship and worshiping, and also uh, preparing our hearts uh, for God's Word. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Book of Matthew. Matthew chapter five is where we find ourselves this morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, your smiling faces, at least most of your smiling faces, and. Uh, uh, we're glad to be able to open God's Word together. Um, Matthew chapter 5 is where we find ourselves, and I'll be reading starting in verse 27 through verse 32. We're continuing in this teaching series through the Sermon on the Mount. The book of Matthew is there in the New Testament toward the back of the Bible. Uh, so if you uh, hit Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, Stick it in reverse, and you'll find the book of Matthew. I, I encourage you, especially for those of us who are regular participants on a Sunday morning, to go ahead and stick a bookmark right there uh, in your Bible at that book of Matthew, and that way you can refer to it also throughout the course of, of your week as you read God's Word and allow it to uh, overwhelm your soul and to guide and direct us. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 through 32. Follow along as I read from God's Word. Jesus said this, he said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Amen. <laughs> and the voice of the Lord has spoken, right? In our call to worship, uh, Michael read the passage, but he left off the last line. I don't know if you noticed that or not. And I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I wrote that last line down because I believe it's helpful for us in this moment. And the last line is this, Today, if only you would hear his voice. Today, if only you would hear his voice, and to hear it as the voice of a loving father, uh, a loving father who gives us instructions on the way in which we should live, on the good way. And uh, I know some have, in, in anticipating this, uh, this passage, I know some have been concerned for me. And, and preaching, recognizing that some of what we're talking about, all of what we're talking about, right, is, is hitting close to home. It's, it's hitting close into our hearts, all of us. 
but I think even in thinking about this, this is, this is good news. God's word is good news. These are, these are words of life. These are words of hope. And sometimes we, we go to God's word, as we've discussed in the past, we, we sit under God's word and we don't want God's word to kind of mess up our lives or our ideas of what life should be like. But yet if we truly believe that this is a book of life, then we should, we should hear and we should read words like this and we should receive words like this um, with great thankfulness and gratitude. And so today, if only you and me, if only we would hear his voice and allow his voice to change our hearts and to woo us to himself. I think we can all admit that it is hard to live faithfully in an unfaithful world. I think we all can admit that it is hard to live faithfully in an unfaithful world. But Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount, as he is unveiling our hearts and as he's doing some heart surgery deep on some of those channels of our hearts that maybe we, have, we would prefer to keep hidden, Jesus is exposing some of those sinful desires, desires that we have indeed successfully uh, governed and we've kept hidden away from public view. Um, Jesus is, is helping us to see. Jesus this morning is going to show us what faithfulness looks like. This morning, the, the theme or the big idea for our sermon is this, is that Jesus' faithfulness is our only hope for faithfulness. That Jesus' faithfulness is our only hope for faithfulness. Because we all know that it is hard to live faithfully in an unfaithful world. And this morning we are indeed going to be speaking specifically regarding the area of sexual faithfulness. Jesus speaks of adultery, Jesus speaks of divorce, and really the theme over both of over that it, it seems. And I, I know some sometimes uh, preachers when they preach through this they'll separate those two categories. In one week they'll speak about adultery, the next week they'll speak about divorce. But it does seem as if uh, Jesus is initiating. Jesus is bringing to our minds. He's helping us to see. Uh, faithfulness, that we are called to lives of faithfulness, not just externally, right? We all can put on a, a mask, we can put on a show, even uh, certainly for an hour and a half on Sunday morning, we are capable of at least putting on a show, but Jesus is digging deeper and he is saying, this is what faithfulness to me looks like. But it's hard. It's hard. In the area of sexual temptation, man, is it hard to live a life of faithfulness. But that's what Jesus is calling us to, and that's where I believe all of our hearts 
should be pointed to, and that's where we'll end, should be pointed to that cross where there is Jesus' faithfulness displayed there on the cross for us. And that's where we should fix our hope, on the Savior of faithfulness. And so this morning we we turn our attention here to verses 27 through 32, where hopefully we'll get to the point to where we do indeed see that Jesus' faithfulness is our only hope for faithfulness. And Jesus, again, he's he's confronting the Pharisees, well, he's, he's... He's speaking, he's preaching a sermon to his disciples, but we have to also understand that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law most likely would have been within earshot, and and Jesus is somewhat trying to reprogram the disciples' understanding of what righteousness is is like. Uh, That's why Jesus said, in order to enter into the kingdom, your righteousness must surpass that of the Pharisees. And so Jesus is helping us to see it is indeed a heart righteousness, it's not an external righteousness. Last week, we looked at murder and anger and and the hard issue of anger and reconciliation with those uh, who maybe were angry against or have said harsh words toward. This morning, Jesus takes us then to adultery and divorce. And and it really seems like, I mean, when it comes to faithfulness and um, especially in the world in which we live, uh, it's, I don't think you can hit any closer to home regarding faithfulness than discussing our heart's response to sexual temptation. In this world, I think it's a challenge that uh, certainly for most men, if not all men, we battle, and also uh, for women as well. So Jesus begins here. Uh, the first point is this in verses 27 through 28 as we jump right in. Uh, Jesus is helping these disciples to acknowledge that sexual faithfulness begins in the heart. That sexual faithfulness begins in the heart for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The instruction, the Old Testament instruction, that seventh commandment of the great Ten Commandments, uh, where the instruction is you shall not commit adultery, uh, that presented a very uh, conveniently narrow definition of sexual sin for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. In fact, the boundary lines were clearly marked uh, for the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They, They viewed that and said basically either you've physically committed adultery with another woman or you've remained physically pure, right? So there, that was, it was pretty clear. The consequence for those in the Old Testament, for those who were caught having committed physical adultery, was death, right? In the Old Testament, uh, there in the book of Leviticus, we are told that if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. So naturally, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law uh, would have felt really good about themselves in regard to that seventh commandment, right? Their righteousness in their mind and their understanding hit the mark. They had never physically committed adultery. They were standing proud. The fact that they were still alive and hadn't been stoned to death revealed that, that they hadn't committed adultery, or maybe we could say had, they at least had not been caught yet. So what Jesus does, again, is Jesus is he's, he's helping us to see the righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees, the righteousness that is only found in Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus digs a little deeper, doesn't he? He says that, essentially, Jesus says that sexual faithfulness 
does not just relate to the external, but Jesus takes us deeper and he says that sexual faithfulness begins in the heart. That's where Jesus, look there at your copy of God's word in verses 27 and 28, where Jesus then digs deeper. Verse 28, he says, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus here is again, he's dealing with the true depth of our sin. Our tendency is merely to deal with the external matters, but Jesus is forcing us to look beneath the surface. And Jesus is forcing us to see our hearts. I think a lot of us do prefer to make righteousness based on appropriate external behavior. Even as parents, we get caught in that trap sometime. We want our children to look good on the outside, and we fail to deal with their heart issues. And so Jesus is pointing attention to our heart's intent. Now, it's tempting sometimes for us to read passages like this, especially, right, murder. I mean, you go back to last week where it said, you shall not murder, and anyone who, uh, but I tell you, anyone who's angry has committed murder in their heart. And then here Jesus again says, uh, anyone who has looked lustfully on a woman has committed adultery in her heart. Sometimes the temptation is to somehow make those two sins equal. We, we, we are tempted to think that Jesus is somehow flattening out all sins, making them equal in weight and significance, but that's not, that's not true. We have to be reminded that there are indeed greater consequences and more damaging effects to a person's life when they participate in certain sins. Jesus is not telling us that the physical act of adultery and the hidden desire of adultery, that they both have the same consequential force. They do not. The consequences of each in this world are sometimes vastly different. However, they both come from the same sinful root. The physical act of adultery is the forbidden fruit of a desire that was never dealt with, right? Let me say that again. The physical act of adultery is the forbidden fruit of a desire that was never dealt with. It's it's the lust that is ignored and allowed to take root and grow. Let, Let me give you an illustration in this regard. An oak tree, right, if you allow an oak seed to sprout, I've, I have a, a, a small seedling or sapling of an oak tree growing that I started from a, a seed, an, an actual acorn, and it's about this tall right now, right? Now, hopefully, after 50 years or so, that oak tree will be massive. It will, it will grow, and it will be strong. Now, for me to cut down that oak tree at this stage, the consequences are much less than if I allow that oak tree to continue to grow in over 10, 15, 20 years. When I hack that thing down, the fall is going to have much greater consequences than it is now. But both of those trees stem 
from the same root. So Jesus is saying that the lust in your heart should not be ignored. And if you ignore that lust in your heart, it will continue to grow and the impact of that sin will have greater consequence the longer you fail to deal with it. Again, the physical act of adultery is the forbidden fruit of a desire that was never dealt with. It's a lust that was ignored and allowed to take root and grow. And, but both of them, both the desire and the physical act, reveal the sinful nature of our heart. It's pointing to that sinful nature of our heart, and, it, and it's reminding us that there's an issue here that needs to be dealt with. So we have to understand, Jesus is excusing neither the desire or the physical act. And he's instructing us to cast out both the seed of desire so that it doesn't lead to the forbidden fruit. So we think about the physical act of adultery, a desire that has allowed to run rampant in our hearts. The consequences are deadly serious. Adultery is the breaking of a promise made before God and a room full of family members and friends. Adulter- in committing adultery, we make ourselves to being a liar. Adultery leads us from the security of a, a, of a marriage relationship. It leads us from that security into chaos. Adultery leads us from a life of loyalty into a life of mistrust and division. Adultery holds us hostage in darkness and secrecy. If you're, a particip- if you're participating in a, in a relationship and being unfaithful to your husband or your wife, you now fear the light of Jesus. You fear transparency of friendships because there's the chance that you would be exposed. Adultery has a way of destroying those who are are involved. It shatters integrity and character. The, The temporary pleasure of the forbidden fruit will quickly morph into a terminal cancer that spreads throughout your soul. Adultery wrecks the security of the family. It weakens the strong foundational role of a family that a family can have in society. The ripple effect of your sin will be felt by others. Adultery is not a secret sin. Adultery has a way of hurting innocent people. Adultery will have an emotionally crippling effect on your children. Adultery will bring deep and lasting heartache to your spouse. The scars of adultery will last a lifetime. And throughout the Bible, we're warned against adultery. We are warned against sexual unfaithfulness. Look at some of these verses, especially this here in in Proverbs chapter 6. Think about the image that is being presented before us. Solomon, in in writing to his sons and warning them of the adulteress, he says, can a man scoop fire into his lap 
without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Just a few verses later, he continues. He says, a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. The writer of Hebrews then reminds us, let the marriage bed be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. See, the way of the kingdom, church, the greater righteousness which Jesus is helping us to acknowledge, is he's helping us to acknowledge that sexual purity must first happen in your heart. External behavior, behavior is not enough. Being, being able to stand and say, well, at least I haven't committed physical adultery, which Scripture warns us of. But Jesus says, don't just be content with not crossing that line. Jesus tells us, Take care of the desire. Watch out for the seed of desire that is, that is there in your heart. Jesus said, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Maybe we could even say it this way. I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already allowed the seed to take root. See, Jesus is telling us to watch out for the forbidden act of adultery that occurs in our hearts. We have to understand that sensual, sensual sins are always preceded by sinful, sensual desires. You can mark my words that your secret sin or what you think is a secret sin will eventually make a public appearance. Let me say that again just in case you want to tweet that. Your, your secret sin will eventually make a public appearance. So Jesus tells us, watch out. Jesus says, stop looking at women in a lustful way. I mean, very clearly, this, this directive is given to the men. I believe that uh, women will, will have some application to that here in just a little bit, but I believe he's speaking directly here to us men. Stop looking at women in a lustful way. And so because of the danger of this, what does Jesus do? Jesus then tells us, he instructs us to take action against this unfaithfulness, not only to our wives or to our toward our future wives, but it's an unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so what Jesus does is he says that we need to go to extreme measures in guarding your own heart. Jesus wants us to go to extreme measures in guarding our hearts so that we will protect ourselves so that that seed of desire is never allowed opportunity to take root. It's here in Matthew 5, 29 through 30 where Jesus gives us these, this extreme example of the measures we should go in guarding our hearts. Because uncontrolled eyes will lead to an uncontrolled life, Jesus instructs us to take these extreme measures. And so here's what he says, verse 29. If your right hand 
or if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, we have to be careful. Jesus is not suggesting a literal action here. These commands, instead, are an example of how Jesus used dramatic figures of speech to communicate important points. Jesus wanted us to see how serious this matter is. Now, we, we know none of the disciples were, were walking around with a gouged-out eye. Okay, none, I mean, the disciples, at least to our knowledge, all of them still had their limbs. They still all, the, all had their hands. There was no, there was no like, record of them having a gouge-out-your-eye session because Peter had wandering eyes. We have to understand that Jesus is using this dramatic figure of speech because he does want to communicate a gravely important point. And the command is that we should be willing to deal drastically with sin. We must not pamper sin. We must not flirt with temptation. We must not try to nibble a little bit around the edges. Instead, Jesus is telling us that we should hate that sin. We should crush that sin. We should gouge that sin out. We should we should dig it out. Jesus knows our hearts. Jesus knows our tendency, that our tendency is to take the middle road, isn't it? Our tendency is to straddle the fence. Our tendency is how close to this fire can I get without getting burnt? So when it comes to sexual temptation... Jesus wants us to recognize the grave danger. Jesus tells us that the road of adultery will lead you to the very pit of hell. That's not how most of us think of sexual sin, is it? We have a way of fantasizing about it. We allow that temptation to be around us enough where it tickles our emotions. We start daydreaming that somehow we will be fulfilled in ways that we aren't finding fulfillment. And so what do we do? We scroll slowly past the advertisement the first time and then we decide that maybe I need to scroll back past it again. Allowing the eye candy to rot and decay our very souls. One short glance at a time. Jesus says, take drastic measures because the consequences are serious. He tells us there's a hellish danger of adultery and sexual sin. 
he says that when it comes to this temptation, we must act immediately, decisively, without any negotiation. That we should be determined to set up safeguards to protect our hearts and our very lives. We will either end up dealing with the hidden desires of our sinful hearts. You'll either, you'll either deal with that or you'll eventually have to deal with the consequences of what has become and will become a public sin. And so Jesus commands us to go to the extreme in guarding our hearts Don't allow the seed for the forbidden fruit ever to be planted. We all know. We all know where the temptation lies. And it's time for us to stop convincing ourselves otherwise. Is your phone or laptop a source of seductive temptation? Maybe it's time for you to install stronger filters or even get rid of the device. It seems extreme, yes, but that's what Jesus is telling us. Go to extreme measures to protect your heart. Are your entertainment choices causing you to love Jesus and your husband or your wife more? Or are they arousing lustful thoughts in your heart? When you go to the gym, stop choosing the treadmill behind the attractive woman who's wearing her tight yoga pants. Stop putting yourself in situations where your eyes are able to wander. Students, the trap of adultery is set for you long before you ever say I do. That trap is already being set for you. What habits are you developing now at your age where you're training your eyes to be reserved for your future husband or your future wife? Are you learning to bounce your eyes? Are you participating in conversations that joke about or degrade the marriage commitment and the beauty of the sexual union that God has entrusted to a husband and a wife? Are you guarding your heart by not entering relationships that awaken adult desires that at your young age, you are unable to fulfill? Do your late night text messages honor the Lord? Do your early morning or your mid-afternoon text messages honor the Lord? Of course, the seeds of adultery are not always visual, Sometimes they're emotional. What about that coworker you're spending time with 
working on those projects, texting back and forth with about business matters, staying late at the office, finding yourself there with them and no one else is around. Maybe you're going down a dangerous path by paying too much attention to the social media account of an old high school friend that based upon their pictures, their life seems to be a lot more attractive than your life right now. Ladies, married ladies, do you find yourself wishing that your husband was like another man who seems to be more helpful with the kids or productive in the kitchen or has a way of bringing home a bigger paycheck? Married women, watch out. Those small thoughts are dangerous seeds. Instead, married women, train your heart to appreciate and value what your husband does well. Learn to cheer your husband on in his work and not wish that he was like that other man. Learn to thank your husband for the good qualities that he brings to your marriage. We could rattle off many more ways to guard our hearts, couldn't we? What's important is to recognize the danger that's at hand. It's important to know that you, young men, young ladies, all of us have to take this seriously. The Lord is instructing us to turn our hearts toward him and to turn, it, turn our hearts away from sexual temptation, that we should be enlisting the help of others to hold us accountable. We should be investing in our relationships with our husbands or, or with, your, with our wives or ladies with your husbands. We should be going on dates. We should be buying flowers. We should be writing notes of encouragement. We should be pursuing activities that are going to deepen your relationship with each other. And we should ask the Lord to help us to treasure our spouse. And that we would be faithful to them in our hearts. And then the third point, the heart of God is pursuing reconciliation to remain faithful. Jesus goes on to reveal God's heart for faithfulness by instructing us to pursue reconciliation in troubled marriages. Jesus tells us this. He says, It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. In these verses, Jesus is continuing the theme of sexual faithfulness and adultery by warning against an illegitimate divorce. 
Jesus helps us to see that one of the dangers of divorce is that it sets the stage for the two individuals to commit adultery through remarriage. I understand, church, this is a heart-wrenching topic. We have to walk carefully in addressing this because many of us are affected in one way or another by divorce. And so please understand that this, what we're discussing here this morning and the next five minutes that we have, please understand this is not an exhaustive treatment on divorce and that each struggling marriage does have unique circumstances that need to be addressed. I understand divorce and remarriage, they're not always black and white. So I'm not going to stand up here and and try to drop some sort of truth bomb where it says Jesus hates divorce and then just walk off the stage. I don't believe that's our Father's heart if only you would hear his voice. In Jesus' day, one of the popular opinions was that a man could divorce his wife for just about any reason. If the man deemed the woman or something she did as being indecent, based upon Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 1, is somewhat where the Pharisees pulled this from. If, they, if, if the husband deemed that the woman, the woman or something she did was indecent or just wasn't up to his standard, the Pharisees interpret, interpreted this in the widest possible way to include a wife's most trivial offense. In fact, some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were handing their wives a certificate of divorce in, this, in, the, in Jesus' day because they were a bad cook. Because maybe one night they burnt the food. The Pharisees or the teachers of the law were, were taking the wide road in this and they, and they would divorce them, maybe uh, uh, hand her a certificate of divorce because maybe she didn't look as attractive as another available woman. So Jesus, Jesus is, is help, really what he's doing, he's, he's, he's bringing in, he's reining in this rampant, almost no-fault divorce environment. The culture of Jesus' day had made light of the marriage covenant. The culture of Jesus' day had made light of the faithfulness that is to be displayed between a husband and a wife, and in particular, the sexual union. Again, externally, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law could appear as righteous based on popular opinion. Well, why did you get a divorce? Well, she burnt my toast the other night. Oh, well, good thing you divorced her. Go get a good cook. But Jesus, what Jesus is doing, Jesus is pulling back the covers to reveal that that if you give your wife an illegitimate certificate of divorce, that by what you're doing is you're causing her to, to leave that marriage and then enter into another marriage, therefore committing adultery. Because Jesus is saying you're 
Divorce was never legitimate in the first place. Now, for us today as Christians, we understand that within Scripture, there are biblical grounds for a person to divorce and remarry. Sexual unfaithfulness and abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. Let me say that again. I believe that, biblically speaking, that you can look at Scripture and you can say, as far as divorce goes, it is permitted based on sexual unfaithfulness, a, a, a husband or a wife committing adultery against the other So for sexual unfaithfulness or abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. In other words, if you you both are uh, non-believers when you're married and one of you becomes a believer and the other one is not a believer and and, and decides to abandon you or leave you, Jesus said divorce is permissible in that regard. And I understand that there's varying nuances to understanding what sexual unfaithfulness and abandonment by an unbelieving spouse looks like. I'm not going to stand up here and we're not going to discuss a legalistic checklist at this point. So many of these matters are better discussed across the table or in a living room. But Jesus is telling us, but, and, but what, what, we, what we need to be careful of, and I think sometimes we look at these verses, in particular verses 31 and 32, as, okay, finally, right? <laughs> finally, I found it. This is, I can, I can now divorce my, my wife or my husband. I found it. We, ha- we have to be careful that we do not approach these verses with the attitude of needing a reason or an excuse for why divorce in a certain situation is permissible. If we're using this verse simply as a validation for why we can get a divorce, then it seems that we have adopted the attitude of the Pharisees and we're no better than they are because the Pharisees were always looking for the loophole. And if we approach this and say, finally, I found it, we'll miss God's heart in the matter. And what is God's heart? God's heart in, this, in these verses here, as you, as you look at verses, uh, tw- starting there in verse 27 through 32, God's heart is that there will be, be faithfulness, the thread of faithfulness that's woven all throughout your marriage relationship. Even if we have biblical grounds for divorce, we must first do all that we can do to pursue reconciliation. Divorce is a concession by God, not a commandment. In fact, in Matthew 19, Jesus, Jesus who, who speaks about divorce again, Jesus says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. So divorce is a concession by God and not a commandment. It seems that Jesus and the way of the kingdom is to reconcile to a relationship 
where faithfulness is put on display. I think if we find ourselves ever pursuing divorce or remarriage, and again, there are so many things that we could talk about. Abandonment, abuse, all of that. But I would say that if, if we are pursuing divorce or remarriage without any biblical grounds, that we should hear Jesus' words and hear our Father's heart to pursue reconciliation for the purpose of remaining faithful. Again, adultery is the breach of faithfulness. God's heart is reconciliation. God wants us to maintain the covenant we made with our husband or our wife. Jesus is conveying His heart for us, a heart of covenantal faithfulness, a, a heart that in humility seeks reconciliation. And that we should participate with great determination in this daily struggle for faithfulness in our marriage. That we should strive to do the hard work in the marriage that we are currently in. That we should be careful to not believe the lie of Satan that getting a divorce is going to somehow make everything easier. Because most of the time it, it, it won't. In fact, as Jesus tells us, those who serve a certificate of divorce for unbiblical reasons are setting the stage for adultery and for unfaithfulness. Church, this is a hard teaching to hear. It's a hard teaching because I suspect at some point along the line, all of us felt the sting. Maybe felt the pain. Maybe you feel as if the scab has just been ripped off of old wounds. Hear his voice. Hear Jesus' voice in this. Where he says, come and follow me. Church, our only hope for faithfulness, for sexual faithfulness in guarding our hearts, our only hope for marital faithfulness, is the hope that we have in knowing that Jesus himself is faithful. And when we, when our hearts are convicted, 
Don't allow the devil to take you down a road of shame, of, of guilt. But instead, listen to Jesus' voice who says, come and follow me. We must allow our failures to lead us to Jesus, who is our only hope. Only Jesus is able to remain faithful and true. Only Jesus is the one who is able to have eyes alone for his bride. And at this very moment, church, where are the eyes of Jesus fixed on? You. He sees you. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. And so young and old, take extreme measures to root out the, tempt of the sin of sexual indulgence. I don't say that as some old-fashioned Stuck stick in the mud. I say that as someone who wants what is best for you and for my family. Because even at a young age, the trap is already being set for you. And for us in our marriages, to see Jesus' heart in this, how much he longs for reconciliation. Jesus is the only one who can perfectly fulfill his vows. He's the only one who pursues the unfaithful bride. And so this morning we end at the cross because the cross shows us that Jesus is forever faithful to you and to me. The cross helps us to see what faithfulness looks like the cross helps us to see that faithfulness is a willingness to die to ourselves and our selfish and sinful desires the cross is a willingness to lay down our lives for the good of the other person the cross shows us that faithfulness puts the needs of the other person before our own Jesus gave himself as the dowry payment through his death on the cross. His body and his blood there on the cross. Jesus, through his body and his blood, Jesus formed a new covenant. He formed an unbreakable marriage with you and me. And Jesus... And this eternal marriage relationship will never forsake or forget his wife. He'll never forsake or forget his church, ever. There may be times of painful distance and tragic backsliding on our parts, but Jesus will continue to pour out his love to us through all of it because Jesus is faithful. And he is our only hope 
that we will be faithful to him and to each other.